Welcome to the interview chair. My name is Jimmy Casas and I am your host. Are you an educator who is currently feeling overwhelmed, exhausted, or wondering if you can continue to do this work? Visualize yourself back in the interview chair. You are genuine, sincere, and full of passion. You convinced the group of people that you were the best person for the job and you believed it. That is the real you. Thank you for joining me as I take you back to the interview chair to remind you of why you wanted to become an educator. Welcome to episode 21 of the interview chair, responding to students' behaviors. I ran into a teacher the other day and she said to me, Jimmy, can I just be really honest with you? I'm so tired of the way my kids are behaving right now. I'm just so frustrated with them. You know, I really appreciate her honesty and her vulnerability. And, you know, quite frankly, we can get to that place, right? And so I'm going to remind you again to go back to the interview chair with me here today. And here's what I know. We know that disruptive behaviors can quickly derail a lesson or a practice or a rehearsal. And if we leave it unchecked, disruptive behavior can quickly become the norm. We know this. In other words, disruption is a behavior that interferes with the ability of the teacher to teach and the student's ability to learn. Disruptive behavior can be as simple as talking while others are talking or asking off-topic questions. Disruptive behaviors can also be as complex as a student lashing out at peers and adults to the point that the student needs to be removed from the learning environment. And that happens on occasion. Students may become disruptive because of personal circumstances, including anxiety or depression or learning differences, or simply being hungry. And we know that students can also become disorderly because the processes and procedures in the learning environment are sometimes inconsistent or even unclear. Discovering the motivation behind student behavior assists us in redirecting inappropriate behavior to be more positive, respectful conduct. It is important to recognize that misbehavior is more than just an interruption to the teaching taking place. It's also a form of communication and information. In other words, think of student behavior as information. That information can help us determine what a student is feeling and what it is they are trying to communicate. We know that layered beneath a story is always another story ready to be told. Getting to the cause of misbehavior is, in, is essential in correcting it. Misbehavior is often a result of frustration or stress, which may or may not be related to the school environment. When students are frustrated or stressed about their learning experiences, they can act out. In some cases, students would rather be perceived as defiant than the internal message referring to themselves as, well, dumb. So in order to prevent disruptions to student experiences, we must first determine what constitutes a disruption. Regardless of the motivation behind the student's behavior, responding to student misbehavior is complex, but how the adults respond has a direct impact on the disorderly student as well as everyone else in the classroom. While diffusing a situation, we must be cautious about power struggles. Anytime the adults flex their muscles of authority, the battle for power is on and no one will win. Yes, as adults, we can punish children. We can call them out in front of classmates. We can even raise our voices at them or use physical proximity to gain compliance. 
This approach does not change student behavior. It simply teaches children how we can weaponize our authority to maintain power. But what if we were to reframe how we solve behavioral issues and saw them instead as relationship issues? And I'm not just talking about behaviors among students, but also among the adults as well. I mean, how often have we witnessed conflicts among the adults, particularly staff and administration, when it comes to how we respond to these student behaviors? So how can we improve these relationships in our response to student behaviors together? Well, first, to start with, consistency and clarity from the administration is critical. The staff must be clear of our expectations of them and also ourselves regarding student discipline. If a lack of clarity exists on how issues are expected to be handled from the viewpoint of staff, this is sure to cause consternation amongst both staff and administration, not to mention the potential for students and families as well. So today I want to talk about four suggestions for the administration to begin to address some of the common issues that are often shared with me when I am working with schools conducting cultural assessments. So number one, Let's be sure that we develop clear, well-defined expectations and procedures for student discipline, including progressive, restorative discipline steps and the role of staff and administration in addressing student behaviors. It is best that these can be created by both administration and staff together. Perhaps even your building leadership team. That would be fine as well. But the key is develop them together. Number two. Avoid delayed consequences. Administration must work together to ensure that student referrals are addressed in a timely manner. This needs to be consistent among all members of the administrative team. Think about it. When staff issues a behavior referral and then they do not receive communication back from the administration before that student returns to class, well, we know this is going to create resentment even among, even among our strongest teachers. So it is imperative that before students return to class, we as administration have to communicate something to the teacher or they're going to get caught off guard. Number three, circling back with the student and their concerns is imperative to gain staff support. Listen, most staff understand matters of confidentiality. They do. But it's also appropriate to share as much information as possible without violating that confidentiality so staff can empathize and support us as administrators. The more they know, the more they typically are willing to bend a little. They don't need to know all the details, but having some general information can be beneficial and send a strong message that it does take a team approach to work with our most challenging students. Number four, remember everyone's responsible for all students. We can recognize the challenges that come with trying to discipline students with whom we don't know well or whom staff have never had in class. However, we should expect staff at a minimum to see all students as their students. In doing so, they don't need to intervene in every negative student behavior, but at the very least, there needs to be an expectation to acknowledge inappropriate behavior and language when they encounter it. This will begin to set the tone that certain behaviors are not acceptable and that staff is in alignment and unified with what is appropriate and not appropriate. I was recently working with a school and I shared two ideas that I would like to share with you today as well. Remember, 
We cannot fix all of the issues in schools, my friends, but we can change our behavior, which will more than likely lead to better results. So let's start with this one. Look at the way we communicate concerns or expectations, and in doing so, we can recognize that it can create negative undercurrents in the culture of schools if not done appropriately. Staff often express concerns about the way information is communicated by the administration, causing them to feel as though they are not doing enough and need to do more. This is often elevated by referral systems that are managed electronically. Whether this actually happens or not, if it is the perception among some staff, it is enough to create issues among more staff if they express this feeling privately to their colleagues. So, in order to minimize miscommunication, here's what I'm going to ask you to consider. Consider moving forward managing all conversations regarding student discipline face-to-face -face for a period of time. Not saying for the rest of the school year. Could be for a week, could be a couple weeks or a month. But this would require the administration to walk students back to class or connect with staff members during a non-instructional time to discuss the resolution of the referral. By having the conversation face-to-face -face with students present, students will see staff and administration working together. And in turn, this reduces chances of miscommunication regarding expectations moving forward. When we bring all parties together, we begin to create a process that leads to a higher standard of how we manage student discipline and build healthier relationships among students, staff, and administration. Not to mention how this will improve our visibility when we're out in the building walking students back to class. Next. We know the high number of student referrals being generated continues to be a major concern for many schools. Teachers often tell me they feel pressure to manage their classroom discipline issues for fear of being labeled as weak or incapable of managing student behavior. Others state they feel the administration doesn't do enough to support them with more serious student breaches of discipline, including classroom disruptions, refusal to comply, verbal disrespect, swearing, and aggressive and or threatening verbal or physical behavior. From the administration's perspective, they often share with me that staff also sometimes elevate certain misbehaviors, leading to more severe consequences for students, such as in-school suspension or out-of-school suspensions. Well, in my work with schools, we have found evidence of this. My friends, it works both ways. So, why don't we just come together and try something different and hopefully therefore get a better result? Well, one process that I would encourage then school administration to use to begin to alleviate such concerns is to bring a group of staff together to facilitate a discussion and a review of all office referrals. That's right. Get all the referrals for a period of time, a week, a month, a term, doesn't matter but sit down together and get all these referrals collected. And this should only be done with the intent to see if there is a concern and if so, to determine the cause of it. This should not be done to determine the names of individuals who may have been culpable. Confidence in the integrity of the process is of crucial importance in order to develop a supportive culture. We're not trying to figure out who did what right and who did what wrong. We're just looking at the data to help us provide us some information to see if we, we, the adults, can change our behavior. 
And if we do so, we'll probably get better results. So after we gather a set of referrals from a certain time period or a certain demographic population, whether we take that data for a month or a quarter or a semester or a grade level or a floor, male, female, regular education, special education, doesn't matter. Conceal the name of students and staff members and focus instead on the overall description of the incident and ask the team to look for any common themes. When did the incident occur? How did it begin? What was the level of the initial severity? Who was involved? What was said by the student? What was the response by the adult? What was the length of the incident from beginning to end? Etc. These are important pieces of information that we can then examine that may give us insight to how the situation ended up in a referral to the office and in some cases a more severe consequence. When an analysis is done with the sole purpose of supporting staff and administration to help better manage student behaviors, not only do both groups benefit, but more importantly, students also benefit from a culture that focuses on relationship opportunities. Changing culture starts with small beginnings. We know this. So how can we examine a small part of our own behavior and begin to behave our way to excellence so that excellence is reflected in the way we respond to student behaviors in our schools? My friends, it is time to recalibrate. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast, and I hope that you will join me each week as I take you back to the interview chair, because I know this, that when you sat in that interview chair, that, my friends, was the best version of you. Be sure to check out my website at jimmycostas.com backslash the interview chair for links, resources, and show notes. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Casas underscore Jimmy. If you enjoyed today's show from the interview chair, subscribe to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts to ensure you never miss an episode.